Well, it's that time of year again. Uh, it, it's the Christmas season, uh, which means as you watch TV, you probably notice that uh, every commercial has to do with Christmas. And, uh, and so sticking with the football theme today, I wonder if you've seen the one commercial uh, where it's a couple and they're getting ready in front of the mirror, which is the camera, and uh, the man comes in and he's wearing an Oakland Raiders jersey. And his wife says, you cannot wear that jersey to my family's Christmas party. And so he quick takes off the jersey and underneath is an Oakland Raiders sweater. And it's, it's a picture of, on the sweater is a picture of the stadium and where the crowd's supposed to sit are lights. And they light up and, and they go back and forth. The next scene, they are sitting at the family dinner table. He is wearing his Oakland Raiders black and gray sweater while everyone else is wearing red Kansas City Chiefs jerseys. Uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs are the Oakland Raiders' most bitter rival. And so everyone is looking angrily at him. He's looking down at his plate. And finally the grandma gets up, throws her chair aside, and stomps out of the room because she's so mad. And he just looks embarrassed at his food. I think it's safe to say that that man went from in a, a good standing with the family to not so good. Uh, maybe even disgraceful, we could say. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever gone somewhere and you felt like uh, you were a misfit? You didn't fit in? Maybe you went someplace and uh, you dressed to the nines and everybody else dressed casually. Or maybe it was the other way around. You dressed, you dressed casually, and you were very underdressed, and everyone else was dressed to the nines, and you look around, you, you feel like you stick out like a sore thumb. <coughs> you don't fit in. But have you ever felt that way in society? Everyone else is living one way, everyone else is doing one thing, and you're doing something else. Have you ever felt that way religiously you felt like a religious misfit maybe it's because of your religious convictions that you don't fit in maybe you come to church and you sit here and you don't feel like you fit in at church uh, because you remember something you did in your past and you know everybody else knows about it too and you feel like you stick out like a sore thumb we've all felt like a misfit at times and today we start a brand new series called The Misfits of Christmas. And as I, as I mentioned earlier in, in the service, uh, it's a, a series built around the people of Christmas. And the people involved in the Christmas story. And how each of them were misfits. If you developed a dream team for people to bring into the Savior into the world, you wouldn't find these people in that dream team. But God chose them to bring the Savior into the world. And so that's what we're going to look at starting this week. We're going to look uh, at these misfits. And today, we start with Zechariah. Zechariah was a man who lived uh, just before 0 B.C. Uh, and we, we are in Luke chapter 1. Luke is one of those four Gospels, four biographies of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is the only one who records anything about Zechariah. And we're going to see today how he was a misfit. And the first one in your worship folder, if you're following along, the first fill in the blank today is that Zechariah and Elizabeth were social 
misfits. Social misfits. We are in Luke chapter 1, right at the beginning, starting with verse 5. Here's what Luke tells us. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a, pr- a priest named Zechariah. Uh, just a note here. It says Herod, king of Judea, and that while that's true, uh, don't think that he has all reign. Uh, so Judea was the southern part of Israel, where Jer- Jerusalem was. But at the time, the Romans owned everything. Pretty much a whole known world the Romans owned. The Roman em- Empire was controlling everything. And so the emperor of Rome said, Hey, Herod, we need somebody to rule Jerusalem in that area. I'm going to put you there. You're kind of my puppet. Make sure things run smoothly. And so while he was the king, he only had so much power. So during this time, there's a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Alright, so we learn a couple things about Zachariah and Elizabeth here. First, uh, Zachariah is a priest. So he's a pastor. He's in charge of the temple duties, sacrifices, and the things that belong to the spiritual aspect of the Jewish people. Uh, And notice how uh, Luke describes them. They were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Blamelessly. So think about the lifestyle that they lived. Remember, during this time it was the Roman Empire, so there was Romans living there, there were Jewish people living there. And they observed all of the Lord's commands and decrees. Not all the Jewish people did that anymore. Because uh, not only was it demanded that they follow the Ten Commandments, but also the ceremonial laws, the religious laws, making sacrifices every day. Uh, going to morning and evening prayer every day. And not every Jew lived that way. But Zechariah and Elizabeth did. They were blameless. Nobody could accuse them of any wrong whatsoever. They were righteous in God's sight. We have those type of people today, don't we? Type of people that are so godly they kind of stick out in the middle of society. Uh, There's kind of a derogatory term for them. They're called Jesus freaks, right? Uh, They are so into God, so godly, that they stick out into society because all they do is talk about Jesus and they live for Jesus, which is a good thing. That's what we all want to be. But that's what Zachariah and Elizabeth were. And so maybe their life looked like this. They never talked bad about anybody. They didn't use foul language. Uh, They gave God 10% of their income, maybe even more, probably more. Uh, They took a Sabbath day where they just relaxed and dedicated that day to God. They went to the temple every day and they prayed and they worshipped. They didn't glorify sex. This was the lifestyle they lived. 
Talk about sticking out in society. They were a societal misfit just by the way they lived. Uh, you could tell there's something different about these people. But then they stuck out uh, like a sore thumb in another way. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. During this time, society was all about children. What you did was you grew up, you got married, and you had children. That's what you did. And it was weird if you grew up, got married, and didn't have children. In fact, people would look at you and say, what's going on? How come you don't have kids? And so they, they couldn't fit in because they're grandparents now, maybe even older than grandparents, and, and everybody else has kids. They don't fit in with society. But also, it was the perception of the time that if, uh, if you didn't have kids, you must have done something that angered God. And God is punishing you by not giving you kids. It was a wrong perception, but that was the perception. And so you wonder if the people looked at Zachariah and Elizabeth and, and asked themselves, what did you do? What did you do to make God angry at you? Because if God's not angry at you, why is He withholding these blessings from you? Zachariah and Elizabeth, is this why you are living so righteously? Because you're trying to make up for something you did in the past? And, and you wonder if that crept into Zachariah and Elizabeth's thinking in their prayer life. God, what did I do? What did I do, God, that you are withholding this from me? God, what do I have to do to make it up? Why aren't you blessing me? And that thinking can creep into our minds, can't it? As we look at society, as we look at ourselves, and, and we grow closer and closer to God, and we pray and we pray, and we're asking for a blessing, and the, a blessing that we see everybody else has, but God says no to us, we look and we say, God, what did I do? I'm growing closer to you. They aren't, but they have what I don't. Why aren't you blessing me? What do I have to do, God, to make up for whatever it is that I did? What do I have to do? Zechariah and Elizabeth were social misfits. They didn't fit in. And one day, this social misfit, Zechariah, goes to the temple. And here's what happened at the temple. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Alright, some background information here. Uh, it was part of the priestly duty to keep incense burning uh, before God in the temple. And so every morning and every night, a priest went in to light the incense, to keep the incense burning before God. But it wasn't just any priest that got to go in. Uh, this was a high honor. And so how they figured out who would go in is they would cast lots. 
if you want a, a rough modern day uh, version of that, it's like pulling straws. Uh, it's kind of like that. And there were so many priests that uh, the chances of the lot landing on you was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Very rarely did someone get a second chance to go back in and light the incense. So this was a big deal for Zechariah. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And as he goes in, all of the other worshipers, all the other priests are outside of the temple because only the, only the priest who the lot fell on got to go in. And so he goes into the temple and here's what happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to, you are to call him John. Zechariah goes into the temple, and he's standing there burning incense. And all of a sudden, standing right to the right of the altar is an angel. And he's startled. Ah! Uh, first of all, Zechariah is the only one in the temple. No one else should be in the temple, right? And there's an angel standing right there, so he's scared. If you want to know something about Anne, my wife, I'll give you a little insight. She loves to scare me. <laughs> she hides in the pantry. She hides behind the couch. She hides in closets. And then she jumps out and scares me. That's what this angel did to, to, to Zachariah. He all of a sudden appeared and scared him. Ah! But uh, fear also fell on him. Why? He was gripped with fear. Because Zechariah is a sinful person. He's sinful like you and me. And when, the sin, when a sinner comes in contact with the holy, it's terrifying. Because as sinners, we know we're not supposed to be in the presence of holiness. And so Zechariah is gripped with fear. And what's the angel say to him? Don't be afraid. I got good news for you. Your prayer has been heard. You're going to have a baby. You are going to have a son. But that's not all. Here's what your son's going to do. The angel says, He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay. Remember, Zechariah is a priest. He knows the Old Testament forward and backward. That was part of the priestly duty, to know the Old Testament Scriptures. And he knew that God prophesied in the Old Testament that when Jesus would come, when the Messiah would come, there would be a prophet who would go before him to turn the people's hearts back to the Lord. Much like Elijah. Elijah in the Old Testament, he was a prophet. His ministry was to turn people's hearts back to God because the Jewish people went far off the reservation. And Elijah came and he turned their hearts back. And this would be what that prophet would do. So not only does the angel tell him, hey, you're going to have a son, even when you, you shouldn't have a son, but also, 
He's going to be the one that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. The one to go before the Messiah. So not only are you going to have a son, not only was your son prophesied about, but the Lord is about to come. God Himself, the Savior, is about to come. What emotions would you be feeling at that moment? Excitement? Shock? Uh, Complete joy and happiness? Ready to run out the door and tell everyone what the angel just said? I think those would all be appropriate. But how does Zechariah respond? Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He doubts. He doubts. The priest, the pastor, the one who knows Scripture, the one who knows God can do anything, he doubts. Why? Because he lets his human reason get in the way of God's promises. And what does he say? How can this be? Let's look at the facts. I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. How can this be? And so that leads us to our second point in your worship folder today. Zechariah was a spiritual misfit. How so? Well, remember, he's the priest. He knows the Old Testament Scriptures. What does he see in the Old Testament? Abraham was 75 years old when God said, you're going to have a son. And how old was Abraham before he finally had a son? He was 100. And so he has seen in the Old Testament that God can do anything. The impossible can happen because God created the heavens and the earth. God has all power and all authority. And yet Zechariah said, it can't happen for me. You see, he was the priest. He taught people to pray. He taught people to trust God's promises. But when the promises came to himself, he couldn't believe it. You see, sometimes we have that problem, don't we? Where we see God's promises and we can tell everyone else God's promises and say, this applies to you. But when it comes to us, It's hard to apply God's promises and trust them. And we can't blame him, can we? He is an old man. And his wife is well along in years. This seems like an impossibility. And so he says, how can this be? How can I be sure of this? And that line is so important, I'm going to repeat it again, that it's easy to apply God's promises to other people. But then when it comes to ourselves, we doubt. And so we're kind of a spiritual misfit in that sense too, aren't we? Because we say, hey, I know God's promises, I know it for everybody else, but when it comes to me, uh, I doubt a little bit. We can relate. Maybe you come to church here, and, and what do you hear a lot of times on Sunday morning? I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Oh, we're praying for you. And we say it to other people too, I'm praying for you. But as you listen and you hear that, do you ever say to yourself, you know, I I just don't believe in the power of prayer the way everybody else does. 
or at least the way everybody seems to believe in it. Because I pray, I pray, and I pray, and, and God hasn't given me what I've been praying for. So I don't really believe in the power of prayer the way everybody else does. I don't fit in. Again, it's easy to apply God's promises to other people, but then to ourselves. Ugh. And so we look around here, and we say, I see everybody else's faith, and they seem so strong, and yet I have more doubts than I have certainties. I don't know if I believe it. And we feel like a misfit. And maybe one of those times is every Sunday. What are we about to do right after this? We're about to come and confess our sins, right? And then be filled with God's forgiveness. We're going to hear how God forgives us. And if you've been here for the, if this is your first time, if you've been here only a couple times, if you attend here regularly, maybe... You come and you hear that every single Sunday. But you leave and you think, I I don't know if that applies to me. I don't know that I am forgiven. I believe God has forgiven everybody else, but I don't feel it. I don't feel it and, and quite honestly, I remember what I've done. And I don't know that God does forgive me. Maybe you're sitting here today and, and you don't feel like you fit in because, like I said earlier in the sermon, uh, that you've done something wrong in the past. Something big. And everybody here knows it. And so you, sit, you, you feel like that man sitting with the Oakland Raiders jersey amongst all of the red jerseys. Maybe you're sitting here or listening in online and you're just saying, how can this be? How can I be sure of this? Because I don't know if I even believe in God. I don't know that I believe this Bible thing. How can I be sure? Again, it's easy to apply God's promises to everybody else, but to, when it comes to ourselves, it's easy to doubt. And that's what Zechariah did. He doubted. He doubted. He said, how can I be sure of this? And the angel said, you want a sign? Here's a sign. Here's what the angel said. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. The angel said, Zechariah, you want to know how you can be sure of this? You want a sign? Here's a sign. You're going to be silent for nine months, unable to talk. How's that for a sign, Zechariah? Can you imagine the agony that must have been for Zechariah? He just found out, first of all, he's going to have a son. Then he finds out that he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, which also means the Messiah is coming, and he can't tell anyone about it for nine months because he doubted. He doubted. And here's what happens next. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. God 
fulfilled his promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth. She became pregnant and gave birth to John the Baptist. And that's what we're taking home today. This is your last and final point. God always keeps His promises. He always does. Did you notice what Elizabeth was excited for? She said it right at the end there. The Lord has done this for me. I have, he's granted me His favor and has removed my disgrace from among the people. She was excited because now she fit in. Now people would stop talking about her. Now uh, she was no longer a disgrace to the people. And she praised God. But is that why we praise God? Because He makes us fit in, societally speaking? Because He removes our disgraces from among people? No. It might be part of the reason why we praise God, but the real reason that we praise God is because He has removed our disgrace from Himself. You see, you and me, and all people, we've sinned, right? We've sinned in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. And every time we sin, it is offensive and repulsive to God. We are like that that man who's wearing an Oakland Raiders jersey in the midst of red jerseys. It's disgraceful. And like that grandma who stormed out of the room, God storms out of the room with us because of our sin. He knows all of our thoughts He knows the words that we wanted to say but didn't say. He knows all of our actions, the ones that are behind closed doors that nobody else knows. He knows all of them. And they are offensive to Him. And they have taken us who were in a good standing with God and have brought us down to a disgrace in His eyes. That's what our sin has done. And much like Zachariah and Elizabeth we were unable to remove this disgrace from among ourselves. They weren't able to have a baby to remove the disgrace, and we aren't able to remove our sin in order to bring us out of a disgrace. It's not like we can just take off the sweater of sin and put it aside. No. But God. God removed our disgrace from Himself. He removed the disgrace from us and has brought us back into a good standing with Him. And how can we be sure of this? How can I know this will be? Christmas. Because there, God kept His promise. Way back in Genesis 3.15, God promised when Adam and Eve found the sin that He was going to send a Savior to destroy the devil's work, to remove the disgrace from among His people, and that came true at Christmas when Jesus... The Son of God was born. Born for one purpose, and that was to save us from our disgrace. How? How did He do it? By becoming a disgrace for us. He looked at your record and my record, and He saw all of the things that uh, were offensive in God's sight, and Jesus said, I take credit for those. Punish me for those. Not them. And that's what God did. He sent them to the cross where Jesus paid for each and every one of your sins and my sins. 
And not just did he pay for those sins, he then said, here, take my good standing with God so that you can be back in his good standings. And that's what we have because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, God now says, you are part of my family. He looks at you, he looks at his family, and he says, you're the perfect fit. You are forgiven, eternally loved, and eternally part of God's family because of Jesus. And that came true Christmas night when the Son of God was born. I don't know where you're at in your faith walk. I don't know where you're at with your journey with God. I'd love to know if you want to tell me. I'd be happy to help you out along the way. Uh, But I don't know what doubts you have. I don't know where in your life you, you say to yourself, how can I be sure of this? But as we leave here today, I want you to be sure and know with all certainty that your disgrace has been removed from you because the Son of God was born. And because He has, and because He was, you are forgiven and loved by God. And so today as we leave here, I pray that you know that truth because that's what it is. That's God's truth. It's not a guess. It's not an uncertainty. It's a certainty. Jesus lived and died for you to remove your disgrace. And so I hope we, and I pray we leave here today knowing that we are part of God's family no matter how misfit we are. We may be a misfit in society. We may be feeling like we're a religious misfit. But we are the perfect fit in the family of God because of Jesus. This is God's truth to you today. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you uh, that you have sent Jesus to live, die, and rise again in our place. We thank you for uh, fitting us into your family. Even though we may feel like a misfit, you tell us we are holy because of Jesus. We thank you for removing our disgrace and for bringing us into your family. Help us to always have confidence in this and trust in this no matter what happens in this life. Amen.